Samson, Greg. Not Samson. Not what? Not Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome hey. to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series where in myself, Samson Folk, I talk to 29, it won't end up being 29, not finishing the series, my apologies, 29 other people about their team, about the Raptors, so that you, the listener, can get a consensus of what people from outside of the market think about your team. You can validate some things, you can get angry at others, and so that you can slowly, by listening to every episode, learn about the league at large. Today... Sierra Zoe, based out of Los Angeles, but a Canadian woman. Here we are, talking hoops, and we're talking about the Clippers today. Sierra, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? CEO of X. CEO Big of X, yeah. Promotion. Yeah, you know, I think uh, this was just a platform that I wanted to announce it on. Mm-hmm. It just felt right. <laughs> it just felt right. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw it yesterday, but a bunch of people on X actually reported that Elon Musk has tragically, unfortunately died. And they just thought I was the right person to step up and it's going to be a challenge, but I feel like I got a good team around me and I'm excited to see what we go, what we do from here, you know? And if you I have any suggestions, writing. if the listeners have any suggestions, I'm very, very open to, to hearing what they have to say. So, I'm, I assume they're mostly, mostly be compliments. Uh, yeah. Such, such an incredible, well-run platform, especially in the last six months, like a lot of the changes that they made have been just, you know, so focus towards what people have been asking of Twitter. I mean, X. So I think yeah. it's really cool that they're removing the info from the clickable links so mm-hmm. that a scammy ad picture will present the same as like, let's say, a, you know, a column from a journalist or something like that. Um, no, I think it's really, really smart. great. To- <laughs> yeah. It's really smart. Um, you know, uh, we just, we just like to provide as much misdirection as we yeah. can, you know, Good. Mm-hmm. that's well, that's great. Um, yeah very excited for where i they obviously read some of your writing and thought she can tell the story of this brand you know and i'm excited to see what you conjure Mm -hmm. up what i'm actually really excited for though truthfully is to hear your thoughts on the raptors before we get into any of the clippers i'm sure you saw some aggregation of raptors media day um Mm -hmm. you've been around the team you understand the bones of the team you've talked to people within the organization some of the players I'm curious what you think of the Raptors heading into this season. I don't. I don't. So, you know, you say all these things and I am just, I need somebody to explain to me what has happened between the time that I, the last time I really covered the team was probably like right pre-pandemic before I moved to LA. And oh my God, are things different? Like there are just, there are moves that I don't understand from like, you know, from, you know, knowing some of the people in that front office, um, I still don't feel like there has been a sufficient explanation for what happened culturally last year. This was a team that if, I felt like they really liked each other. You know, it felt like they, you know, the, the Tampa season aside, and you can understand logistically why that would be difficult for pretty much everybody involved. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I love that you tried to give me some authority, but man, I, I haven't a clue. I just don't understand. I don't understand, but I imagine that's probably how a lot of fans feel as well. I think um, you gave the what you just said. That is a direct rip from Jakob within his first two weeks of coming back to Toronto. What has happened here? 
what how did it change so much i a lot of these guys are the same guys what's going on um that that Jakob had a reaction similar to that it's it is interesting and to understand the machinations of like how culture changes there's big motivators at the top usually and then it trickles down and there's a few different motivators that could be you know in ownership that could be in decision makers and then obviously on the court as far as affecting gameplay a lot of people a lot of fans will say fred um some people might think it's fred some people might think it's fred nick some people might think it's fred nick pascal but the truth of it is it's hard to ascribe any meaning to any because it's just conjecture it's like you just you're throwing something at the wall and seeing if it sticks Masai coming out and saying there will be no selfishness this season i mean he hopes so but it was meaningful that pascal came out right away was asked about selfishness and said it's too early to tell i think pascal's is the truthful answer how could you possibly know and hopefully training camp is going well we have a we have our guy tim w out there covering it with raptors republic in burnaby excited to talk with him at the end of it but mm-hmm. it is a confusing vibe it's a confusing roster construction but within that do you think that there's a meaningful team that could make like a jump to the playoffs this upcoming season? How, how confident are you in that? So one thing that, you know, I've, I've heard coming out of training camp is just the idea of the amount of new sort of ideas, terminology that Darko has brought. And I, th- I can't remember who said it, but the quote was basically that like this, we haven't had a shakeup like this in 10 years and you start to realize how necessary it was. Mm, oh, I think it was Jama. It was Jama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Jama who said that. Um, and that struck me as really interesting because if you think about the Nick Nurse hiring, he was Dwayne Casey's top assistant. And, you know, he kind of was the offensive coordinator who then kind of like built more of a reputation for his really creative out of the box defensive schemes. But they were, yeah, they weren't going to change terminology and change who they were too, too much. And not that they even necessarily needed to. Like, they needed a pivot away from Casey when they hired Nurse. And that worked for a season. I'm curious to see how it kind of works in Philadelphia, too. He's kind of inheriting a, a similar situation there, uh, granted with a much more unhappy superstar, a much more uncooperative superstar than Kawhi Leonard ever was. Uh, but that's that's a different story. Uh, but yeah, like it's I never really considered how much continuity there was in the entire Masai Ujiri tenure because they hired an assistant coach that, you know, when he left, he was like, yeah, like, you know, I've been here a decade. So sometimes you do just need to shake things up, but I'm also kind of of the opinion that like we've, this team has been kind of saying this for a really long time. And I think there's almost, if you look back at the Masai tenure and you add the new context of how they've handled things, I think it'll actually kind of bear out that he's not quite like the risk-taking, swashbuckling GM that he kind of developed a reputation as, especially when he traded for Kawhi. Like, for the most part, this has been a team that's made a lot of incremental moves. You know, like, it's not, this is not the, Kyle Lowry used to always be on the trade block. DeMar DeRozan used to always be on the trade block. You never really knew if Dwayne Casey was coming back, right? Um and, you know, up until the Kawhi trade, like nothing really major happened. Like this was a team that was like, let's go get like the, the PJ Tuckers of the world and see if we can make a difference. And 
it like it, it feels like that's kind of bearing itself out now too. And they obviously like completely botched a Fred situation, which I I frankly don't understand. It's just like you know KYP. Uh, <laughs> like you you can kind of I don't know maybe it's like a matter of Houston obviously changed their priorities when um, Ime came on board, and we know now that he had a conversation with James Harden about wanting to win the scoring title that probably made them prioritize Fred a little bit more. Uh, but you also kind of have to plan for the board shifting a little bit too. So, you know, they don't trade Fred. Dame gets dealt and like, it felt, feels like maybe there wasn't ever like a really good deal there. So it feels like maybe Dame didn't really want to go to, go to Toronto. So I see why you don't give like, give up a lot of assets for him. You also hear that they want to get younger, but that makes me go back to like the trade deadline. And like, you know, the, the times that, you know, you could have sent OG Ananobi somewhere for a level of like draft value that I don't think you're ever going to get again. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is honestly a team that is like kind of falls in love with their guys. Um, it paid off with the Kawhi situation. They just, you know, they upgraded a position. They won a championship. Now it feels nice like little move. Tidy piece good, of business. Good. Good. Yeah. Good trade. Good trade. That worked out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now that, you know, now, now that Dame's been dealt and also like to Milwaukee of all places, um, the Giannis thing, we don't really know how that'll shake out, but there's like, everyone's going to want Giannis. So, you know, that can't be like something that you really bank on. Um, I don't know. I still feel like I, I give him like another year and see, you know, what other unhappy superstars sort of, develop from there but I don't know like I just I am a little I'm simultaneously confused but also kind of looking back at the whole tenure and, and realizing like maybe maybe we didn't like correctly characterize these guys like they're a lot more incremental in their approach um than we necessarily thought they were which doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing it just yeah. they but there there have been a lot of mistakes in the last two years the incremental successes the wins they had also were a product of guys and girls who ended up leaving the organization. They had brain drain mm-hmm. on the developmental side, they did. in mm-hmm. the basketball ops side. And that's that's meaningful that a lot of their incremental, like the Raptors success, you know, we talked about Nick Nurse being uh, an offensive coordinator. Turns out nobody was the offensive coordinator except for Kyle Lowry. And the moment he wasn't there anymore, mm-hmm. they couldn't curate like a good half court offense ever again. Um, it's easy to, I guess, when you have Kyle Lowry organizing live on the floor to build an offense and difficult without it. The Raptors mm-hmm. had trouble. And their developmental wins were the incremental moves that returned a lot of stuff. So if OG Ananobi and Norman Powell don't end up becoming like big wins, then the trade for Grievous for, you know, a first round pick and then a second, which became OG and Norm, like if you don't have the developmental chops, we're not talking about that trade really. It's just lost in the lost to history. Mm-hmm. Same with like, you know, Jakob Barnani becomes like a ninth overall pick. That's like just an incredible trade to get that off. I can't believe the Knicks did that. But, you know, the developmental stuff is really important. Fred, Pascal, these are incremental moves because mm-hmm. they aren't like lottery picks who they put in there and it's huge returns. It's these guys slowly made their way up through the organization and found themselves like playing big minutes mm-hmm. and that's why they were able to sustain winning after Kawhi left and you know the end of roster moves the final four slots 
have not been as viable over the past three, four years as they were for the seven prior, you know, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what makes it, I guess, uh, a little bit harder to justify the lack of big moves is because the incremental stuff hasn't been working out. And I guess we can switch gears to a team that is defined by big moves. Mm -hmm. I'll say one one more thing on the the Raptors point. And when you talk about selfishness, I think there's also a matter of kind of needing to assess why that came up as well. Like there's the on-court side of it where you have a team that doesn't have enough shooting. It doesn't have enough playmaking. The shooting part maybe was a, they maybe maybe you know Grady Dick solves that partially right. Um, we still don't have a Gary Trent extension, which why? Uh, but I think so. They're talking mm-hmm. to Gary. Mm-hmm. They're talking to OG. They're not talking to Pascal. OG isn't going to take it because he's going to mm-hmm. make more money like his Mm -hmm. his range for the extension just doesn't cover what he's going to make so he's going Uh to free agency they can still offer him the most because you know it's the incumbent team gary i don't know what that's going to look like his range is tough and pascal they're just not offering so which is odd Mm -hmm. but yeah expiring is not good yeah i mean like yeah that brings me to the next thing where where it's like okay like let's then think about the off-court reasons that selfishness happens it's a usually a byproduct of fear or a lack of security and now you're going into a season where you got a bunch of guys who don't really know what's going to be going on with them coming off a season where a lot of them were in trade rumors and granted that's part of the business but like you have to expect that that's going to impact things you also had you had scotty barnes with like all the pressure in the world on him and he clearly wasn't prepared for it um, and on top of that, you had kind of you had Fred VanVleet going into a free agent year, and Scotty's talking about how he's the point guard. And then you watch these games, and it's like, oh, Fred doesn't want to pass to Scotty, you know? And like, yeah, like as as a fan and as a GM, I imagine that's disappointing. But like, you can't just like point the finger at that and not assess the root causes of why that might be happening, especially when it comes to Siakam. Like this, I just don't get it all. He is like, he he is a store. He is like the banner headline for what Raptors basketball has been about in the positive way, international player, incremental success. Maybe you're trying to light a fire under his ass, but he's not necessarily historically been a guy where you even need to do that. He has improved on his own. He's incredibly self-motivated and has gotten better almost every year aside from like the, you know, the first sort of turn into stardom and like he had a difficult time in Tampa, but other than that, he's just always gotten better and I don't know why as a team that has had a hard time retaining free agents, you just wouldn't want to lock up like Pascal. Like he's, he's incredible. He's great for your culture too. He's a good guy. He's like in his late twenties, but he also just doesn't have a lot of NBA mileage. I think he's going to continue to get better. I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't get it. And it would not be surprising to me if they went into the next season and, and had similar problems. Yeah. Well, the big thing with Pascal too is, I don't know what metric I like. I understand. I I did a podcast. People may have heard this before this comes out with Joe Wolfond, where we were kind of talking about the lip service paid to offensive changes, but the personnel also dictates that you will be doing things offensively that you were doing in the past. Um, If you have like wings who don't shoot the three, but can score in isolation, some of your offense is going to result in mismatch hunting. 
just because Pascal ended up scoring a lot late in the clock and in the back half of the shot clock and doing it in isolation doesn't mean he's a selfish player or anything like that. He's a guy who has, as far as like miles run, positions played, roles told to be accepted, has just done it. It's just like goes out there. Who else was going to do it? Like there's a reason that he ends up with the ball in his hands at the end of the shot clock going ISO. Yeah, I just I watched I watched all of Scotty's pick and roll possessions and a lot of them he resets. Like Scotty will get the possession at the start of the clock and Scotty doesn't get an edge around the screen, is facing an under or a switch and resets the possession. That's an opportunity for Scotty that didn't turn into something. They've now been put into the back end of the shot clock and somebody has to create. Like that is a very common thread across these Raptors is you know, the baton being passed to a guy with 11 seconds or le- less mm-hmm. left. And it's just kind of like, well, make something happen. And part of that is a product of a little bit of lazy offensive design by Nurse, I think. But also, like, when you don't have a ton of shooting, it's hard to make teams respect a lot of your off-ball actions. It's hard to make teams move according to your motion off of dribble because they're like, we're just going to keep our shell. And it's up to you to be a guy one-on-one because we're not going to shift for you. And it's like, I don't understand by what metric or understanding Pascal could be seen as a player who you don't just like hand the money to because mm-hmm. he's a maniacal worker. Uh, his teammates like him a lot. Coaches like him a lot. And like, would it be, and even if he wasn't going to take the extension from the you know front office's point of view, wouldn't you like to say we offered it? We yeah. would love. <laughs> even if you want to trade him, even if you want to trade him down the line, it's better to trade him once he's been paid. I mean, like Kyrie Irving got a, got like a, <laughs> you know, like this is Pascal Siakam we're talking about. And I, by the way, I loved, uh, I loved your, I loved you, you know, t- taking it to him on media day. By the way, well, I just, I just wanted the, I just wanted the answer because, like, I asked about before, mm-hmm. and then he he answered because it's tough to know what reporters are talking about sometimes. And I know people were upset. I muted the tweet after a little while, but my preamble, but the reason why I preambled to that question is like, I wanted very certain terms Mm -hmm. why this wasn't happening. And, you know, like Masai, to his credit, let me do the follow-up. And I just wanted to know, like, why, why wouldn't you re-sign Pascal? And to frame it that this is not common in the NBA to, to not offer that. And no, I mean, good players don't go to free agency anymore. You go to 2024, like Pascal, I mean, we're going to talk talk about the Clippers. They could potentially have some free agents in 2024, depending on what happens. But Pascal right now is like projected to be the only star in free agency next year. Maybe James Harden, if you want to still call him a star. But and then it's going OG to be the most, maybe too. Yeah. And you have young teams with cap space. You have a Sixers team that is going to have cap space. We obviously don't know what's going to happen or what that team is going to look like yet. But right now, they are projected to have max cap space after Harris's contract expires. You have Orlando, San Antonio, like teams that I think would like to have a Pascal Siak and more OG Ananobi type player. The Thunder, it's a big one the too. The Thunder, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so. yeah, it's confusing. But yeah, let's let's mm-hmm. switch gears. Sure. Clippers, big move team. I'm I had a conversation with Jackson Frank about the 76ers and kind of how the Harden situation made it seem like for the first time in a long time 
the 76ers were probably not really in the contender situation anymore, no longer in that grouping. The Clippers, I think this year, for the first time in a long time, people have kind of pushed them, all right, you're no longer in the contender status. Even last year, people were talking about, they have Kawhi, they have Paul George. Look, they go like 12 guys deep. You know, Amir Coffey is the league's best 12th man, which he might be. But, you know, like that kind of stuff I think is interesting. But where do you where do you rank this team's ceiling? Do you still mm-hmm. think it sits up there? They're so confusing because the first thing is health, right? Um, if they're healthy, they have a lot of depth. They also have a lot of questions around that depth. Like I'm still like, I don't think we'll know until probably November or December what their biggest hole is if they keep the roster as constructed, which is also a big question right now, given the the Harding rumors. Um, and also like, you know, there's guys like Brogdon they could go and get too. like, is their biggest hole still that like playmaking one? Do they need that? Or do they need to figure out what's going on at the four position now that, you know, like Marcus Morris really dropped off last year. Rocco fell out of the rotation. Um, Batum requested to play less minutes last year and he's coming off of playing in, in the FIBA world cup. So I don't think he's going to be wanting to, like he's not, he's not, if anything, like it'll be probably be more of that, if not less. Um, so yeah, it's, they have depth, but they have a lot of questions around that depth. They have interesting young players, but nobody, nobody is like crossed the threshold past interesting to be like rotationally relevant outside of Terrence Mann, who may or may not be on the roster, but also is a guy that could fill the one position or the four position or the three. And he's like, you see why they're so reticent to give him up because he fills so many different holes for him, uh, for them. But like, like this is a team that I think when they are healthy, they are incredibly dangerous. Um, We have just seen, like, it's just been, you know, like injury after injury, Kawhi goes down, PG goes down. We just get so few moments of, the entire roster as constructed playing at the same time. So yeah, if you're, if you're in the boat where you're just like, okay, we're in year four of this Kawhi PG partnership and every year injuries have taken them down. You have to price that in. Yeah. Like I wouldn't necessarily bet on them to be in the NBA finals or the Western conference finals because you do have to price that stuff. in. that said, they're, they're talented and there's a lot of, there's just a lot of questions. I guess do you th- they're also small, you know. Mm-hmm. Like once again, and a lot of teams are big now. The the best teams in the league, I find, like the Warriors, they did manage to do it. They won with Kevon Looney and Draymond Green, but the that team is built largely on shooting. Mm-hmm. Curry being able to build out an offense with him, and Draymond is uncommonly good at filling the shoes like the bigger shoes necessary for the front court positions. But otherwise you look at the the Raptors won, they were a massive team, you know. The Lakers won, massive team. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee, massive team. Denver, big team. Mm-hmm. Big teams have been winning and they also of course have to be able to battle it out against like smaller teams and they have to have a lineup that they can go to like the the small ball lineup where Jeff Green is really important for example, something like that, right? But the Clippers, it doesn't seem like they have that same level of dynamism switching between styles. They are locked into that. You know, it's very like micro ball, 2019, wingy basketball. I think it's from a lot of people, they look at it as like a bygone era of the the NBA style. 
but do you think that they can still succeed playing that way? I think that they're a little bigger than they get credit for. Uh, just because, I mean, Zubac holds it down, you know? And if you look back to the postseason, one of the reasons they were even in that series against the Suns is because of their offensive rebounding. Granted, the Suns are very small and also, like, were literally thin in their front court, right? So that's maybe, you know, if, if you know, the Clippers – go deeper in the playoffs, they run into a Lakers or, or, or like a Memphis team that has a Jaron Jackson, Steven Adams front court. They don't have that advantage anymore, but they're kind of, they're, they're more so in the middle to me. Uh, the, the biggest, the biggest thing to me is like, they just don't have, like you said, that versatility to be able to go from, you know, big to small very easily because they have, like, it's a, it's a, it's a questions at the four, right? Like if, if Robert, there's Covington, a big drop off from Zubats to whoever else. Yeah, I mean, they re-signed Plumlee, um, and I think Plumlee's really good for their playmaking. Uh, but, yeah, it's not like he, he's not the most dynamic five-man in, in the NBA. I don't think anybody w- would say that. Uh, but at the, sa- at the same time, I think the bigger thing is just, like, the front court in general around them. Like, they just, you just don't really know what you can get out of a player like Marcus Morris anymore, especially when PG and Kawhi are healthy. And I think you need to be constructing this team with the assumption that they're healthy. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, He doesn't know what his role is anymore. Like he's, he's kind of like an on ball creator, not the best mover off the ball. Um, And he really dropped off in those areas through, through the course of the season last year. So they've got questions there. Does Rocco have anything left? Like hypothetically, he's the guy that should be plugging this hole and turning them into the type of team that can like, you know, play him at the five, Kawhi at the four, uh, Terrence Mann who plays a lot bigger than he is, uh, Russell Westbrook who plays a lot bigger than he is. They should be able to have some of that variability that like sort of like yin and yang that allows teams to play small while also, you know, maintaining their rebounding and their defense and their physicality, but he fell out of favor in Ty Lue's rotation. And also like, I, I don't know that I think he has a lot to prove. I think he probably has a huge chip on his shoulder. And this is kind of a year that's make or break for him, him in terms of like his future in the NBA. So we just have to see what happens with him. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think like they are a little bit, it's, it's funny to call small ball old school at this point. Um, but yeah, they're a little bit more old school in their, construction and their style you know when when the stars are healthy they play kind of that like houston isolation space the floor pg and Kawhi take turns not a lot of movement type of type of offense but that's also something that i think they want to change as well um you know i think pg is a great cutter he always has been um it's on the not necessarily something he goes to as much but when they've been healthy and they've had Westbrook and like PG's been more of a secondary creator as opposed to like the primary creator role he was put into. He kind of does go back into that bag. I think Man is a really great cutter, but then like yeah, they're they're really st- stuck in this in between place because I think if they had like a stretch five, then Terrence Mann could kind of be like what Bruce Brown was to a team like sure. the Nets or or the Nuggets. Uh, but they have Zoo in the middle, so it kind of while they're spaced out, it kind of clogs up the lane a little bit. And they don't have the really, really elite playmaking that takes advantage of his rolling skills. Like, I think there's probably a reason that 
he was really, really effective after Westbrook came because Westbrook just put so much pressure on the rim. It really allows Zoo to take advantage on the glass. Uh, but yeah, they're just, they're like, they're one or two pieces away from being optimized. Like you have a lot of talent, but they could also, they could go in so many different directions with it because I don't think there is like an ideal conception of how this team should play. Mm-hmm. It's, they're a very interesting team when you look at, because the bones of the team are the same, you know, it's, it's built on stars, obviously Paul George and Kawhi. And while they haven't had the health on their side, we've seen flashes of it. Like two years ago, the offense is really good. Mm-hmm. And I think they were like second and third or second and fourth the first two years of PG and Kawhi basketball. And the defense was really good. Then they have their first like big time hardship year. No Kawhi. PG is in and out. And they find this like really mucky, you know, upstart reputation under Ty Lue where they have like a top 10 defense with a bunch of their really wingy guys. And Zubach, they play big and they scrap on offense. And last year, they just didn't really succeed at anything. Mm-hmm. And like, I think they were the bottom half of the league in both offense and defense. And it's like, how do you find the marriage of these different types of teams that they've been the past few years? And like, what does it look like? Do you, do you want to play scrappy the way mm-hmm. that you did? And then also, how do you manage to get everybody working on offense while also integrating like a bunch of these scrappy defenders who it's a very wing led, they create like lots of turnovers. There's like this really collective idea of how you play. But then, mm-hmm. you know, if if it's back to like that one, two, Kawhi, Paul George, this is how we make things go. It's like, or, or even with Russell Westbrook in there, who isn't that level of star, but certainly uses a lot of possessions, creates a lot of looks for them. How do you get all this stuff to be cohesive? Because you can see in fits and starts that there's the the bones of a really good team here. Mm-hmm. It's just about having that kind of unite under one banner, I suppose, which I find confusing. Two confusing teams here. Very, yes, very confusing. Yeah. Also, some similarities too, where you have a front office that, you know, they want to they be a top five defense this year. And coaching staff in front office have basically said, yeah, we need more effort on that end. We essentially have not been trying. And then you kind of have stars like, you know, Paul George was kind of like, yeah, you know, I feel like we try, you know, <laughs> like it's kind of a similar sort of thing as like the Raptors dynamic. Um, but I think to your question of how do you cohere right now, I don't know that there's an answer to that because it's strange. Their lineup vari- variability, while it can be really good at times, um, it also kind of prevents them from having a really clear identity in terms of how they play. Like if you look at the lineup data on their best lineups when healthy last year, if you had like you when like basically like when Kawhi, Paul George and Zubac are on the floor together, they are deadly. They're they're yeah. elite. Both ends, they're just like they're they're incredibly difficult to play against. Um but if you have Terrence Mann starting in those lineups, they're elite, but they play a lot more slowly. Um, and it's more of like a offense is good, but the defense is elite. It's like man, and you have you know you have man Kawhi and PG on the perimeter. Those guys just have so much. Like it, it's there's just there's like very few players in the NBA that I look at and, and I say that they could not stop. You know because you have the strength, mm-hmm. you have the quickness, like. 
you you have like a lot of switchability and then you have zoo protecting the rim you know you're just really really well covered um you throw russ into that starting lineup it's gangbusters but it's very different it's like high octane offense the pace really really picks up the defense drops but it doesn't necessarily matter that much because like you have these three incredibly elite creators in the lineup right um so it's just confusing it's confusing and then i think like even beyond the stars you go and like looking at who is going to be able to fill the holes that they have um norman powell is a guy who's had to have like incredible variability in his role throughout the throughout the season he was really awesome for them plugging like you know plugging a scoring hole in the playoffs but there are parts of the regular season where he couldn't necessarily figure out where he fit in um and yeah it's just like there's there's almost there's too many like playmate there's too many really like you you kind of made the point of like Amir Coffee could be the best 12th man in the league they have a lot of guys that I look at and I say like yeah to have that guy be your 12th man that's really great but at the same time like I don't necessarily know what your top eight is, what your top nine mm-hmm. is. And from there, it just becomes really hard to create consistency. And they haven't been able to. Like, you know, they've they've had a lot of injuries and they've had a lot of players where you're just not really sure where they fit in. I think both these teams have a very clear, they have to figure out, and I don't mean to call players hodgepodge, but they have to figure out like the 12 guys to get to 10. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they get to that part of the season, they got to figure out the 10 to get to eight. And you look at the back end and there's a lot of similar styles. There's a lot of guys who you've seen succeed for spurts. Mm-hmm. But then you, they've also had like these devastating chasms in their game where just like they were completely unplayable and the coach didn't know how to utilize them. And they signed contracts with one role, had that switched and aren't having as much success like that is the Clippers and the Raptors, the back mm-hmm. end of the roster, both of them. And yeah. they both are relying on, you know, they don't have elite guard stoppers, but they do have, you know, really strong wings defensively and one big badass guy sitting under the under the rim. And so they'll have very similar approaches, I think, defensively. It's like, how do you weaponize all these wings mm-hmm. so that you can kind of shrink the floor on defense, funnel to your big man, close up possessions and just push. But the difference obviously is that the Raptors are betting on a young star in Scotty and, you know, trusting in health, obviously they just need to see skill progression. Whereas on offense, the Clippers are, you know, fighting against health because they know the skill progression is there. Two of the most skilled wings ever in Kawhi and Paul George. So different variables, Mm -hmm. but uh, very similar approaches, oddly, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then you kind of have this strange situation right now, I think, in training camp where the Clippers want to get more movement heavy, but they're also looking to trade for James Harden, who is like, you know, the ball stoppiest player of all time. And if they do trade for him, then I imagine they'll go back to sort of that like isolation. Everybody takes turns and spots like, you know, spots up for each other type of style, too. Um, And then you don't really necessarily know where that leaves Russell Westbrook is. Does he become like the de facto six man on that team. How does he react to that? Like it's kind of tra- talking about the James Harden stuff is really interesting because I think you almost have to like split it up into like uh there's like the 2K version of it, right? And in the 2K version of it, it's a no brainer to trade for him. And yeah, you go ahead, you give up Terrence Mann. That's fine, right? Um, but the guy's got a lot of quit in him. You know, he's a flight risk. And 
you also you brought in Russ, who has been incredible for your culture. He's really been motivating. You know, got these guys to try their asses off during the playoffs. And you go into a training camp where you're talking about how one of the biggest issues you had on defense last year was effort. And it's like, well, okay, like I don't. There's there's so many there's so many off court variables with the James Harden situation that I almost feel like the themes that plagued them last year like might not be all that different than this year whether or not they trade for him or not it should it would be really interesting too is because it's it makes less sense than because when he got traded to the the nets it was just like we are building this unholy ungodly collection of stars Mm -hmm. and you know if harden isn't playing through a hamstring thing if Kyrie isn't injured like that nets team in like 2021 they probably get it done. Health did not help them, but like, you know, their Durant's toe on mm-hmm. the line is the big thing, but they had nothing go right for them in that playoff stretch, and they still almost did it. You understand why the Nets went after Harden the way they did. is like just this ungodly collection of talent. And it made so much sense with Philly as well too because Philly has the big wings and the huge Embiid to insulate Harden's defense, and Harden didn't do bad defensively in Philly. But they were they did a lot to help carry him, and you know it was a good place for him to play, and it made so much sense for him to pair with Embiid that like you're like let's just do it. And Simmons was an unknown and still remains an unknown. It just made sense. You laid out the negative aspects of why Harden joining the Clippers. Like there's a bunch of them. You know that you know head to head the two K aspect of it, the trade aspect. It's like we are winning the talent differential in this trade, but the fit is not as inherent as it was in Philly, and it's not as inherent as it was in Brooklyn, and he is even further mercurial now than he was back then. It's like you, you'd you win on talent, but it doesn't make that much sense from a play style point of view, which is like that's a tough decision to make as a front office because you want to be able to collect talent. But mm-hmm. if the pieces don't make sense and don't fit, like do you really push the button? Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk through the like the the on court pieces aspect of it for a second, because mm-hmm. you know now that we're now that we're in this, I do wonder if maybe a hardened trade is sort of like the clarifying move that they need to decide who they are. Sure. Because then they're all older, and that that you know that type of stuff also helps you from a practice schedule lens, from like a load management lens. Um, it's just, you know, the Raptors, like for all the years they've sort of straddled the line, they've kind of answered that question by having, you know, a, a practice and then kind of having like an optional practice where it's all the young players and it's not necessarily, it's more so it's optional for, for the vets, but the young players are there. So there's ways to get around stuff like that. But then, you know, you look at how they'd probably want to play. They'd want to play slower. I think Kawhi and PG would be happy at this juncture of their career to play slower um you will you unlock Zubac too he's never played with a playmaker like Carden he's an incredible roller and I think he could have a lot of gravity as well if he had like somebody throwing him lobs and 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 setting him up the way that Harden can and maybe PG goes back to sort of like the role he had in Oklahoma where he was just like one of the deadliest spot-up guys and is kind of historically one of the deadliest spot-up and movement movement shooters we've seen Kawhi transitions to the four in a more natural way. And then, you know, you put Terrence Mann in there and he'll kind of do, he'll be whatever you need him to be, right? Um, 
it could it could actually make a lot more sense on the court in a way that I think in Philly, you know, James Harden and, and Joel, Joel Embiid by the numbers are a really great fit. They are not an elite dynamic duo, though. They they don't enhance each other's games. They play different styles. You know, they both sure like they'll they'll both want to play slow, but Joel Embiid is not a pick and roll big man. That's not his that's not his game. And James Harden is not like a wait around while Joel Embiid posts up type of guy either. They both thrive around shooters. It's a good fit, but it's not a great fit because I think Harden thrives when the floor is open. You know, that was like the key with everything in Houston. And part of the reason why he, I think, wanted to go back and like potentially win a scoring title, right? Um, It almost feels like a supercharged version of, the Houston teams where like instead on you have Robert, Robert Covington still, but like, you know, instead of like Daniel house and PJ Tucker space in the floor, you have Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George. Right. Um, and you know, Kawhi, I think is a guy who can play on and off the ball. Same with Paul George. So I think that there are ways that on the court, it could actually be really clarifying for them. It also would not hurt for them to, you know, turn two or three contracts into one guy just because of, how much depth that they have. Um, But, you know, it's a, there's a lot of other questions. Well, in the, the, (laughs) the, the response, I guess, is like in the same way that you like the, the pick and roll between Harden and Embiid was unfathomably good, like a really great play. It's just, you're like, well, is Embiid going to do this all the time? And Mm -hmm. is Harden going to do this all the time? I think you, maybe you run into similar problems with like having, Kawhi, Paul George, Russ, and Harden, is yeah. that you know, whose game is getting relegated? What aspects of it? And how do you get do you, how do you get them to buy in collectively to make somebody else work? And like who is at the ex, who whose expense, who is paying, who's footing the bill for that? And you wonder like, does Harden still have the cachet to get guys to foot his bill? And that's that's maybe more so the question as far as fit. But I, I do yeah. really like that you bring up that's I didn't think about that at all, but it is like the supercharged rockets. That's a great point. But in my head, I was like already I had moved Harden from that guy into like the pick and roll player that was like twenty two and eleven. But I mean, if he can just flip it back to like thirty points per game, I think I would really like watching that Clippers team. If if it is oh, yeah. I had yeah. I had a ton of fun watching Houston. That was one of my favorite teams. I know everybody hated the ISO stuff. I actually loved watching Houston, like, you know, flatten out. They're a pretty fun team to watch. Yeah. I know people didn't like it or people complained about them a lot, but yeah, that would be. They definitely had their moments where, you know, it was like a little bit too foul baity, but they were, I mean, like, a lot of the times they played really fast. Don't you like, like, cook his ass? Ethos on offense, you know, like, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, if you like Luca, you like hard, you know. um, Luca. That's true. I mean, Luca is, but Luca has also become slower and more methodical in the ways that Harden has before, where he was a lot more intuitive and, you know, magical when he was a rookie and you know in his second year. So, I see the shift. It's a subtle shift, but it's definitely, it's definitely like a very clear aesthetic shift. So I get why people don't necessarily love watching either of those guys as much. But yeah, I do agree. It was a little. I think at times it was overplayed. I mean, like Harding can be pretty fun to watch at times, um, especially, you know, like if you put him next to players where he, it's not going to be the same thing over and over again. Like I think he could definitely be the 22 and 11 guy. He doesn't necessarily have to be 
a 30 point scorer for the Clippers, but I think it would just be more comfortable for him on a Clippers team than it was in Philadelphia. It's like as much as uh, Embiid, Joel, like and Embiid and Harden pick and roll is always going to be incredible by the numbers. They're, you know, they're two MVPs, like they're two elite scorers. Uh, but like, do they, do they complement each other the way that like a Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic oh. complement each other the way that like a Dame and Giannis like have like the perfect yin and yang to, to like just bring out each other's best skills you know just that that aspect of it is what i think is like missing in philadelphia and i think like honestly if you want to win a championship and you want to go through the east like those i know they're marginal questions but those marginal questions kind of matter i think what's your what's your pet action when in in crunch time right i don't i don't know what phillies is what do you what do you think the let's pretend harden isn't on the team this year what do you think the the pet action for the clippers will be this year like game six they got to get a bucket. What are they running? Ooh, okay. So, like, with it with the team as constructed right now. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. I honestly like. I think I still think like you just put the ball in Kawhi's hands and get to any spot he wants. Do you He's like, like ghost with ten pounds with Paul George? I think that would be like fun. You get Paul George mm-hmm. in motion. You make the point of attack defenders. Two guys make a d- same decision at once. I think like that would be what I would run. Mm-hmm. Obviously. I think the defense like steps up. Maybe they make you force the ball to the corner, but then well, that's like, fine too. If you have shooters on the floor. Who, who would you who would you put in the strong side corner? Mm, man, I guess if you're starting Russ. Like, is Russ on the floor? Yeah, let's say let's say it's like, like you need more shooters. You kind of need like you need more more spacing. Like Batum, Batum is like an incredibly quick release. If it's like the last play of the game and you need a shot, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw Batum, Batum in the strong side is good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Batum, yeah, Zubac maybe is closing, maybe isn't. That's where you get a little bit more flexible. But yeah, yeah, I'm like how much time it, do you have the court? Do you have do you have like you know like nine seconds? Can you norm? get a shot off early and get like a you know get something going and see if he cleans up the glass? Like, is it a three point game? Is it a two point game? Like yeah, that, would, that probably determines whether I have Zoo on the floor or not. Like, do I need offensive rebounding? If not, yeah, Norm. I think, yeah. What I would do is I would like, hmm, I'd put the ghosted screen, George coming off. If they mm-hmm. double up, if they blitz it, you just go to George and he can attack. I guess it would be a four on three at that point. I put Norm in the strong side corner so you can make that read. And if, you know, they play the zone up on it or whatever, he can drive or dish. And then Zubach, I would want on the floor. Because if they collapse, Zubach can like curl around the dunker to the front of the mm-hmm. rim, and then there can be like a lay down there. That's what I would mm-hmm. do. And yeah. you probably score a decent I, amount of possessions on that play. Yeah, I also I think that you know if it's just a one possession thing, you can also I think get Plumley on the floor, and you know there's that playmaking aspect of it too. Like maybe you put the ball in his hands. You know, PG can just you know he come off a you know come off a pick and like he can backdoor cut you they could run split action with Kawhi yeah yeah fun little I don't know I don't think they will I just like they they want they talk about being a movement heavy team I just don't think it's gonna happen um there's options they have they have a lot of options too many options I feel like that's kind of the that's the thesis here too many options you're pro Harden trade then you're like hell yeah let's go for it no, <laughs> no, it's not 2K. 
it's not mm-hmm. 2K, man. You know, I think I think like there's a Russ aspect of it too. Like, what do you do with Russell Westbrook? It'd be hilarious if they traded him to Philadelphia. Um, yeah, they probably won't. But I mean, it's a great contract, right? <laughs> um, but Russ and Russ and James didn't get along, you know, in in Houston. And a lot of it was because they were like completely temperamentally different in terms of how they want a team to run. So was James Harden going to show up on a Clippers team and then be like, yeah, like it would be cool if we sit in Miami an extra night. Cause like the thing with the Clippers as constructed right now and what actually like made them a really good team towards the end of the year is not only the health, but the fact that like Russ was an energizing force and was really great for their culture. And I think they really like that because Kawhi like in Toronto just not a big talker, right? And PG's not a big talker either. Like, Russell was able to take up so much emotional real estate on that team that they really needed. So you go and you replace that with James Harden, and I just, I don't know. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about what happens. And then you also, then you're also running into a situation where you have, like, three stars going into free agency in 2024, and they're all aging. And... One of them has proven to be very insecure in that situation. So at least Kawhi and PG, they have player options, but yeah. James doesn't. And like, is it you also like maybe like another thing that I think probably makes them reticent to offer a lot? Do you consider James Harden to be a one year rental? I think you kind of have to. You have to just see how the year plays out. You can't trade for him and also assume like, oh, we're going to sign him to like a major extension. Harden can really change like drastically changed the last like four or five years of his career based on how he approaches fitting like mm-hmm. two other players that for a long time didn't come close to passing him as far as like impact but guys have finally started to do it he's no longer like the preeminent give the guy the ball uh, mm-hmm. guy in the league and how he tries to shape his game Paul George is a really good example of a guy who's one of the most dynamic players in the league, but will shape his game to other players. If Harden ever like cares about doing that, he can be such a profoundly impactful player. I just wonder if it happens because he's yeah. an unbelievable talent, even still. Yeah. I mean, you saw it happen in ways with Philly that he didn't necessarily seem to fully believe in, which I think is kind of what it comes down to as well. Because yeah. then I wonder if they have – Whatever team he's on going on to going into the future, let's say he agrees to take a lesser role, he sees the floor, sees what's going on. I feel like three game losing streak, five game losing streak. I don't know if that's going to hold. It's kind of like I mean, it's kind of like how the Raptors were were in the playoffs, like for for two or three years before Kawhi, where like they were like this movement heavy team that was really embracing their three point shooting. And the second that they got blitzed by a playoff defense, like everything just reverted back to their old habits. I could easily see that happening with Harden. It's just a matter of how much he believes in it. That team, It's man. kind of in the place that Russ was in. Except better. You know, like he's better, a better yeah. he's a better player, but mm-hmm. he's not – he doesn't have like the overwhelming like, wow, this guy's like the best guy I ever met. Like yeah. all the all the testimony – I'm not saying Harden is a bad guy. People like Harden a lot. It's been like a lot of teammates like Harden a lot, mm-hmm. but – Russ, his testimonials are through the roof. Everybody's like, Russ changed my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I did I did I did an article on him last year, like before the play uh before the season started, and I could not like there was not a single person who would say anything bad about Russ. Like even including Lakers people, you know? Mm-hmm. Like despite how much of 
you know, an albatross that situation to become. And like, now you talk to people on the Clippers and they are just, they love him, you know, and he's just one of those guys who is so wildly different to the media and like, fr- like where, how he is front facing is just okay. so different than how he is behind the scenes. And I don't know exactly why that is, but I think also as you get older, that becomes a huge asset as well. Like that determines whether teams will want you around. Like, are you going to fit in? Are you going to be a positive presence? Or are you going to, you know, when, when you realize that you're not getting the same privileges and power that you were once afforded, is that going to be an issue every single time that a little bit more is taken away from you? And I feel like Harden seems like it, it will, it would be, you know, like is Harden going to walk into the Clippers like team and then like expect that, you know, he's, he's in team meetings with Lawrence Frank and like being, you know, advised and like his opinion is being asked on all these decisions and stuff, especially when they already have a partnership with Kawhi Leonard and PG. And like, on top of that, you add the fact that like, this is a team that rests. I mean, like, I think the, I think Kawhi gets a bad rep for the load management stuff. He's been legitimately, injured and like also like you know played in a back-to-back he has a degenerative like, like, knee injury. yes like this is not like <laughs> if i i think Kawhi leonard would love to play more basketball than he has mm-hmm. in the last few years but like harden is a guy who has like gotten annoyed when people have rested because for all of the quit that he has in him he also just has this love for playing basketball like he likes to play basketball so that's another sort of differing factor in philosophy between the stars as well and something i don't know i wonder about you talk about like these power dynamics playing the politics maybe you after your rise to ceo of twitter could give some advice about how to sorry x to to navigate these very difficult (laughs) sensitive situations um yeah i mean we kind of had like a succession type of thing happening you know it wasn't necessarily the most cooperative rise to the top uh i can't a, get into that too much there's you have a, what's that? do you have a succession yeah call? like mo- modern modern day james harden just bulldozing you know my my like my my father is a ma- malignant presence like that's basically what james harden said when he called daryl Morey a liar right like it was a lot like that um and you know it worked out for me there's no maybe it'll work out for harden it seems like Another day of Sixers training camp has passed and he has not been a distraction quite yet. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe, you know, maybe cooperation gets him what he wants. Maybe it'll be kind of like the Dame Lillard situation where, you know, starts showing up playing ball or like KD starts showing up and eventually gets a trade that he wants. I think he knows that like he has a really great statistical resume and he knows like keep juicing it. Like it would be very helpful for Harden to end up as like a top 10 score all time, a top seven score all mm-hmm. time, like all that kind of stuff. I think there's some aspect of that. Um, and yeah, I just don't like, I don't know how you, he's never been able to say no to basketball. Like he just plays minutes. He plays possessions. Mm-hmm. He just goes up there and hoops for all the stuff off the court. He shows up like anything could happen in that that extra day in Miami, but he's there mm-hmm. to start the game, and he can still give you forty, even even to this day. Like, what did he score forty six in that one game in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, he can turn it on. I feel like yeah. this. We spend a lot of time on James Harden for a podcast about the the Clippers and the Raptors. Oh, it's fitting right now. <laughs> yeah, up things are up in the air for both teams. Um, mm-hmm. 
it should be interesting to see how it shakes out. Any parting shots you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, fuck threads, first of all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have anything. This was fun. I'm glad we got a chance to catch up, uh, you know, on and off the pod, doing awesome stuff. And yeah. Likewise. Great to be on. Yeah, I'm not a not a threads guy myself. Or or blue sky, just fully locked into Sirit's version of X. I'm I'm surprised you're you're keeping the brand, but you know, hopefully it has legs. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, just, that's the only thing I have to plug. Just keep an eye on this space, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's been a pleasure to talk um business acumen, basketball, and mm-hmm. the bleeding edge of um Twitter slash X, as as you call it endearingly. Um Sirit, thank you. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you. Bye-bye.